And we are live on YouTube and Spreaker. Wherever you're at in the world, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hope you guys enjoyed the return to boxing last night. Top rank on ESPN from the bubble in the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. 13 completed rounds in over three hours of broadcasting. So there were 17 rounds technically, but obviously uh, with all the stoppages, not all those rounds were completed. So 13 completed rounds in three plus hours of programming. I don't know if they needed to uh, have a four hour block of TV time last night. I think it was from, it was scheduled for the top rank card was scheduled from 7 PM to 11 PM Eastern. I don't know about that. They probably could have cut that in half. Now what I don't know is if they needed to, uh, if there was some sort of network agreement or something they had to work out where they had to do a four hour block or something. I don't know, but if that was the case, Somebody should have communicated that to the media and to, and to the fight fans so everybody knew. As far as I understand it, though, that wasn't necessary. So a four-hour block for these fights, I don't know, man. There was a lot of vignettes, a lot of uh, commentary. Some of it was boxing-related. Some of it wasn't. Some of it was uh, political. And uh, some of that was just parroting and pandering, in my opinion. And uh, I don't know. All in all, look. When the card came on, at first, my, my first initial reaction was good. Like, emotionally, I was like, oh, this is nice, man. Like, I, I felt like, oh, shit, something positive. Like, we're getting back, a little bit back to normal here. Obviously, the look and feel wasn't what we're used to. But just with all the negativity in the media recently and everything that's been going on, like, you can't escape it, right? Whether it's, it's on TV, the radio, social media. Uh, in your neighborhood driving around, you know, some of us more than others with that. But like, you know, here in Atlanta, just driving around, there's just, it's everywhere. There's just all this division and negativity and animosity and all this stuff going on. And I felt like, oh, I'm escaping. Like I felt a little bit of an escape for a minute. It didn't take very long before that changed. And I was thrown right back into, uh, you know, everything that's been going on. Anyway, uh, yeah, Johnny Boy Boxing says hit the like I agree. Hit the like, everybody. What's up, Johnny Boy? Thank you, all of you guys here in the chat. Let me see. Uh, man, we got a bunch of you guys watching. Okay, so yeah, I mean, look, the phone lines are open. You guys know the number right behind me on the screen. Um, for those of you who can't watch on YouTube and you're listening live on Spreaker right now, in the USA, it's uh, 213-267-7787. In the UK, 0208-036051. So get on the line and call if... Uh, you want to review or talk about any of this stuff. But, um, okay, let's let's hit a couple different subjects. So, first of all, fighter purses. I tweeted out the fighter purses. Um, I, th- I think it was yesterday. It might have it been Monday. But the uh, disclosed fighter purses for last night's card. And a, a few, a handful of UFC fans jumped on that and started bashing the shit out of the purses. Now... Bob Arum has gone after UFC a lot, and particularly Dana White, and he's bashed UFC fans for years. So I kind of understand why UFC fans aren't that happy with Bob Arum. But any chance they have to pile on that dude, I kind of get it. I understand. Uh, Bob Arum, in my opinion, has been unfair the way he's talked about UFC. And I'm saying it as a guy who doesn't get UFC. I just don't understand it. I don't get it. It's not my thing. I don't watch it. But some of the things Bob Arum has said about UFC fans and UFC fighters and and Dana White, I think, are extremely unfair and uh, just blanket statements and really quite ignorant. Anyway, the fighter purses last night, 
they were club club level club show level purses okay except for Shakur Stevenson who got 400 G's and that's whether he has the title or not he does have a title a featherweight title that title's paper thin right but that helps a little bit but it's really because top rank he's one of their top prospects and they're all in on the Shakur Stevenson business and they're paying him as such so he's getting in my opinion, overpaid, but he's not the only one. I mean, guys like Ryan Garcia are overpaid. Devin Haney's grossly overpaid. These guys are overpaid, and part of that is because these promoters are so desperate for new young talent. When they grab these dudes, when they make the decision on who they're going to sign, they overpay them because they they want to invest in that business and, and promote them. And there was a lot of Shakur Stevenson promotion last night. Besides his $400,000 payday, there were everyone else on the card was essentially getting, I think one guy might have got ten grand. I don't remember off the top of my head. You guys can look on my Twitter feed. But several guys on the show were getting you know, just a, a few thousand dollars. And so some UFC fans and even some UFC quote-unquote media, I don't know if these guys are true media or not, took my tweet and ran with it and said all sorts of stuff, you know, bashing boxing and all oh, these purses are horrible. Let me just explain something real quick. And I see we got somebody on the phone here. I'm going to jump to you in just a second. But um, look, how many how many professional MMA fighters are there? Maybe a thousand. I know the UFC is obviously the dominant brand there, and they have about 500. I think there's about a thousand or so professional, ranked, licensed MMA fighters around the world, right? In boxing, there are tens of thousands, literally tens of thousands. So, so it's 10 to 1, probably more than 10 to 1. So you're going to get much more variation in a pay scale in boxing. And a lot of casual fight fans, which is the bulk of the UFC fans, obviously a large portion of boxing fans too, don't understand that boxing is more restricted and more regulated than UFC, than MMA. There are certain regulations that boxing uh, promoters have to follow and stuff that the UFC doesn't have to. So there are more regulations there, more restrictions. It's also a more global sport. I could go into this forever, but it's a much more, just the pay scale is different. The uh, split between the promotion and the fighter is different. In boxing, the fighter gets a much bigger share of the purse than what you get over in UFC where the promotion gets the majority of the purse. So it's very, very different. And bottom line is, last night's show was basically a club-level show. And I'm not saying that to diss it. It is what it is. This is the return to boxing, and it's, you know, we're kind of touch and go right now. But there's these little market samplers by Top Rank for the next month. And then we're going to get to the bigger shows later on in the summer and into the fall. These shows basically right now are what Friday Night Fights was years ago. Right back when Friday Night Fights was on. And guys, the budgets of those Friday Night Fight shows were in the five figures. Every now and then they'd be in the six figures if they did have a title fight or they got maybe a former champion on or something like that. But for the most part, I mean, tens of, tens of thousands of dollars. Those were the budgets for those shows. Now, last night's budget was higher because of Shakur Stevenson being on the show. But if you take him off that show and you look at the rest of that show, what is it? That's a club-level show. And again, I'm not saying that to diss it, but there was what, let me see here, make sure I got the amount of fights correct. Yeah, there were five fights. Now, outside of the Stevenson fight, which wasn't a title fight, by the way, I've seen a bunch of the UFC guys saying he's a world champion. That wasn't a title fight. He's also not a world champion. He's a title holder. But 
those other four fights were six rounders, dude. Now, again, in MMA, that that's you know they may not understand the differences there, but a six round fight, those are prospect fights, and traditionally those four fights would be off of a TV broadcast back in the day. Even right now, those are the types of fights on a fight card that you might see like on ESPN Plus before the main card starts on ESPN, the actual network. You see make those undercard fights on ESPN Plus or maybe even top-ranked social media, their YouTube or Facebook, whatever it is. You see Golden Boy doing this match room. PBC does it, right, where you have undercard fights on FS1 or even FS2 before uh, the main event, the main show starts on Fox or maybe Fox Pay-Per-View. We've seen this a bunch, right? That's the level of fights you're going to be getting on these shows, guys. So these purses are not going to be typical ESPN, Fox, Showtime level fight purses. Basically, these cards are going to be the equivalent of showbox cards. And I'm not saying that to diss it. It's not a bad thing. It's not it's it's not me, it's it's not a negative, okay? But when you look at a showbox card, what is it? It's prospects fighting. It's guys with 10 or less fights fighting for the most part. And then maybe you get two journeyman level guys in a fight like we had last night, that uh, Cash Metcalf fight. That was what it was, right? Those types of fights are either on a showbox type card or they're off the the main broadcast. Last night, all five were on the broadcast because this is a unique situation. It is what it is. So, like, people just got to stop tripping on the on the purses and understand what they're seeing and what they're not seeing. So, I just wanted to get that out there for some of the UFC guys that were going after the fight purses, not really understanding the differences. And um, I see. Let me see uh, real quick in the chat here. Johnny Boy says, uh, I like UFC, but the company is sinking, not rooting for nobody to fail. But with Conor McGregor, Nate Diaz, Jorge Masvidal, John Jones all want out. That's for your top 10 biggest names. That being said, UFC 251 was an amazing card in July. And yeah, I'm saying, yeah, I mean, I could go into, you know, the way those fighters are treated and paid over in that world and everything. I'm not going to do that right here. Also, people comparing UFC's first card, I think Teddy Atlas did, and Teddy knows better, but Teddy's very, very good at getting clicks and getting people to pay attention to what he's saying. He says bombastic things. But he tweeted something last night basically saying, like, you know, UFC's return was this awesome card, and last night we got shit. You know, tell me when boxing's back. Well, that card was a pay-per-view. I mean, people paid $80 for that card. Last night this was free. So, again, you're kind of comparing apples to oranges. Plus, a lot of top ranks, top guys are overseas right now. They're, they can't get to America to train. And you got to have live gate revenue to pay them what they want. Or you got to go pay-per-view. You guys want a, a pay-per-view right now? I don't know if you want that. Okay, let me um, let me jump to the phone lines here. We got a call here. And then we'll talk more about the show. I want to talk about Andre Ward's comments. We'll talk about that later. But uh, 353, you're on. Go. Hey, what's up? Can you hear me, Mike? I can hear you, Mark. What's up? Can you guys in the chat hear Mark? I want to make sure that I got everything hooked up. I hope so. Anyway, go ahead, bro. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yo, how good was Hairgate last night? How good was who? Hairgate. 
Metcalf's hair was awesome. And that was the funnest part of the night, man. Just on Twitter, everybody joking around about that dude's hair. I'm like, holy shit, I missed this. We haven't done this in months. You know, that's that's the fun. Oh, yeah. That's what boxing Twitter can actually I've seen be 200. Fun. Yeah. 200, 300 tweets all about dude's hair, man. <laughs> that was awesome, bro. Oh, good. Yeah, you know, you know what? Um, you're right about the club level thing, but you know what? I, I I just call them next generation shows. You know what I mean? That's what that was. It was a next gen show, like yeah. they do in the UK, where they have all all the Olympiads, like where they have Taylor, not Taylor, where they have Kelly headline and Cordina on the undercard, and then you have a lot of like react pours and stuff. Like this was like two years ago, so you have little cards like that. They happen. Like it's just a sample teaser. It was it was a fun it was a fun enough show to be honest. Like you don't get many shows where you get first round knockouts like that, you know. Yeah. Um, Rebasi Ramirez returning. It was okay. It was okay. Um, the only thing I didn't really like about the show was uh, I don't like boxing being merged with politics. That's something I don't like because I'm just sitting down to enjoy the fights. I don't want to be hearing every every political point of view in the world. Um, also, did you try, did you see the hear me cheer thing that they had? The what? They, they were doing this hear me cheer thing. Yeah, yes, I, yes. I didn't. So how'd that work? Cause I, I didn't even hear it or see what, it or. Well, what they were saying is like, you can be part of the ambiance, hear your voice, blah, 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 blah. So I, I went in and I started cheering during the fights with all these people. Right. And then I started to listen to the broadcast. You couldn't hear anything. Yeah, I didn't hear, hear anything. Yeah, like that made no sense to me because I thought maybe are they going to because because Joe Tessitore said uh, this will be live. We're going to you, you can hear yourself live. And it's like, wait a second. They're not that stupid because people could say anything and yep. it'd be live. So obviously yep. they're recording all that stuff. But at no point in the broadcast did I hear them play any of that. No, no, for sure. Because when I was I was in, I heard all this. I was hearing all different types of chants. Trust me, that was never going to go on live TV. Never. There's certain things that were said that you could hear very blatantly, clearly that are not going there. And I'm talking like very, very racist shit from every side. You know what I mean? Very horrible shit. Stuff that you just shouldn't be that just shouldn't be on TV. People talking about murder and things and uh, just it was it was ridiculous. That hear me cheer thing. Don't pay into that, people. For the love of God, just don't play into that. Um, but yeah, man, the, the card was alright. I mean, Shakur looked okay, right? He looked okay. He, he looked. He got in he some rounds, fast. you know. He got in some rounds. Yeah. Um, one of the heavy that what uh, the American heavyweight got in a few rounds. Uh, Jared Anderson. Yeah, Jared Anderson. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just, so I want to, I want to hit on something you mentioned, by the way, uh, Trent in the chat says that I need to talk to you about the Kenahan, Kenahan cartel. So maybe, uh, if you're knowledgeable on that subject, maybe oh. we could do a show together where you could call in and we could talk about that. Yeah. Cause, uh, I'd love to I'm, learn I, more about I, I've, I've had, I've had people ask me about that a few times. I know a lot about it. The, the thing about it is, just just from my point of view, I don't feel safe to talk about anything to do with gangland culture when it's two minutes from my door. I totally understand. Hey, I've been there before, brother. All right. 
So uh, maybe you and I can talk off record or something. Um, we'll uh, figure that yeah. out. But yeah. you talked about the, the, the politics. And I know that, uh, look, there's a lot of people out there, you know, that say, oh, well, uh, don't, people who say stick to boxing um, are, are, you know, their heads in the sand and they just they just uh, they're they're idiots. And so you kind of damned if you do damned if you don't when it comes to politics, I've talked about political matters on my show plenty and I get the people saying stick to boxing. And then I get other people out there saying, no, you should speak more about politics and not stick to boxing last night, dude. I just felt like for a few minutes there before all the politics came up, I just actually felt really good inside because I felt like I had escaped for a few minutes and there was finally no fucking politics. And then Boom! You yep. just get hit with it, and it'd be one thing if it was a different perspective, a nuanced perspective, uh, you know, added information, different points of view. But it was the same fucking parroting bullshit. I, I'm not going to call it bullshit. It was the same parroting message, okay? Because regardless of which side of the fence you sit on on these issues, most people are not thinking independently. They're just shouting their side's battle cry. And they're they're talking like parrots and acting like sheep, and I'm just sick of it. I'm just sick of it, dude. Yeah, there was a couple of things that were said that I I, I just don't know. I feel you know Bradley when he was talking about the car thing. Yeah, honestly, I clicked Did off the segment, Bradley? but I know. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, on, he brought uh, Twitter over, like, today. Being yeah. pulled over. Right. Yeah, he brought. He mentioned being pulled over because the car he was driving, and like the the first part people are forgetting is is he his son went up to him and said, "Can we use this car today instead of this or this or this or this?" I'm like, "Yo, man's got six cars." Yeah, man's got six cars. I I've got one, and it can barely get me from A to B. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I don't know. I don't know. It was kind of hard to take that very seriously, I guess, for me. For other well, people, I'm sure they can take it seriously. That, that's the thing, Mark. There's a lot of people out there that could relate to Bradley's message in one way or another, right? Most people don't have six cars, but in, in, in different ways they could relate to it. But there are probably more people that couldn't relate to it for one reason or another, like you just mentioned. So again, when you kind of go down that road, if my whole thing is, if you're going to go down that road, then go down that road objectively and give points of view from different sides, different angles. There are plenty of fighters from all walks of life that, that come from a disadvantaged background. And, you know, that message just kind of isn't being talked about right now. I understand that the focus is on one particular community right now. But I just felt last night, I understand like there's an obligatory thing there where you got to talk about recent events. I just need, didn't need it pounded into me, my brain the first 30 minutes of the broadcast and repeatedly throughout the broadcast. I thought, do your obligatory thing like they did with the COVID-19 situation and move it along. That's what I would have liked. Yeah, me too. Me too. But let me just ask you a question before I jump off so you can continue on with your show. Real, it's just a real fast question. Do you, what do you think will be the first unification point we're going to get? 
Damn, that's a you good have question. To get. Uh, probably Chocolatito Estrada. At least that's what I'm hoping for because they were targeting that for, I believe, September. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm just asking because I watched an interview uh, with Tiafimo's dad yesterday. Um, it was on a friend of mine's channel, uh, D's channel. Um, he was talking to Tiafimo's dad. They're saying September. Tiafimo's dad saying that they're getting that fight in September. I know that's when they still want to do it. I just, uh, I don't know which one's going to come first, but yeah, yeah. You know what? I forgot that, uh, that, I mean, obviously that's still happening. They still want to do that. I just don't know exactly when it really depends on how things reopen, dude. They need gate revenue for that fight. They do. Uh, Estrada Chocolatito, that's the zone. I don't really think they really need gate revenue. Exactly. They're just trying to pump out fights and they've got no content right now. So they need to get content going. But yeah, have a good one, Mike. Take care. And anyone who hasn't hit the like button, support the show. Take care. <laughs> Peace. Thank you, Mark. Have a good one, brother. All right. Uh, let me get to a couple quick super chats. Uh, Johnny Boyd to super chat. Thank you so much, Paisan. He said, Metcalf looked like they had Zeus from Big Lebowski. Yeah, with a with like a horrible hairline. I mean, the, dude, like it was a horseshoe haircut and a mullet. And then he had like a full beard. There was just a lot going on there, dude. And, and it was just there's sneaky genius to that because most fight fans, most, did, had no idea who that guy was prior to last night. Now the dude is somewhat known. And I'm not going to say like he went viral or trended or anything. It's not like that. But there were hundreds, maybe even thousands of people tweeting about that dude last night because of his hair. So there was sneaky genius to what he did on that. But it looked like literally him and a barber just beefed halfway through a haircut. He said, fuck it. I'll do this shit myself. It's just hilarious. Hilarious. Harrison Property with the Super Chat. Thank you so much. He says, what do you think of Devin Haiti training with Floyd Mayweather? And will this be a permanent arrangement? Thanks, buddy. I, I like it. I mean, obviously, Floyd Mayweather has, it goes without saying, a ton of experience and knows what he's talking about. And from a technical perspective, one of the best technical fighters of the last 30, 40, 50 years. So any work Devin Haney does with him, even if it's temporary and they're just working together, you know, working out every now and then, is a blessing. Devin Haney, you know, grew up around Floyd, been around him a lot, been around that gym a lot. I know ESPN at top rank is constantly comparing Shakur Stevenson to Floyd Mayweather there's pretty much zero comparison there. They do not fight alike. They don't have similar body styles or anything like that. I think you can make a lot more comparisons to Devin Haney to Floyd Mayweather. Not that they fight that much alike, but I do think there's more parallels and comparisons between Haney and Floyd than Stevenson and Floyd. So um, I like it. I like it. Now, is Floyd going to become like a full-time trainer and all that? I don't think so. That dude, guys, being a trainer in boxing... That is something you have to do because you love it. You have to enjoy. You're almost a second father for a lot of these kids you're working with. You are their father figure. You really become their father figure. It's got to be something that you just are so extremely passionate about that you're willing to take shit pay and get blamed when things go wrong. Never get credit when things go right. It's a thankless job. And there's no union to protect you or anything like that. So do I see Floyd becoming a full-time trainer? No, I don't. But any work they do together uh, is good for Devin Haney. All right, let's uh, 
Let's jump over here to the phones again. And we got uh, 447. You're on the line. Go. Hey, Mike. It's been a while. It's Lawrence from London. What's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How, how are you? Doing well, man. Cool. Um, I wanted to start with some good news. I'm not sure if you've checked your Twitter in the last hour or so, but apparently Tyson Fury, AJ, have signed a two-fight deal, and that's on Sky News' official Twitter. So I think we can take it as gospel on the basis of that. I think I think it's pretty much confirmed. Interesting. Let me. Uh, I'm going to click over to Twitter right now. You said this is on Sky Sports? On their Twitter? Yeah, Sky Sports. Yeah, on their so, Twitter. So, I, I mean, I don't think they'd put that out if it wasn't official. If it's on Sky Early Sports. Early predictions, of course. If it's on Sky Sports, that's a big deal. I will, uh, let's see here. Sky Sports, 59 minutes ago, Anthony Joshua has reached an agreement with Tyson Fury on a two-fight deal, says promoter Eddie Hearn. Hmm. Now, Eddie has been known to pull the bait and switch, Okay. So I'm not going to get too excited yet, but damn it, I'm, I'm clicking on the Sky Sports website and they're wanting me to click this accept cookies thing and I'm clicking it. There we go. <laughs> All right. It's, it wasn't updating. There it was timing out on me. Uh, let's see here. Eddie Hearn says, we're making great progress. There is still a lot to overcome. Uh-huh. We are looking at venues and dates. Eh, we have a Dillian White mm, mandatory, which is due before this fight. It's fair to say Joshua and Fury are in agreement regarding the financial terms. We've been talking to MTK Global, giving them assurances from Joshua's side. Blah, blah, blah. We're in a good place. I don't know, dude, I wouldn't say anything's official yet, but this is a great freaking sign. A great sign. Mm. How do you think that? How do you think that fight, guys? If you gun to your head right now. Shit, man. Man, it's going to be hard for me to bet against Tyson Fury right now. The guy who showed up in that Deontay Wilder rematch, it would just be really hard to bet against him. Here's what I'm thinking this might mean from Eddie. Because, again, Eddie pulls the bait and switch and he talks in half-truths. He's a very good promoter. I think Mm -hmm. they know that there is a lock-solid contract between Deontay Wilder's people and Tyson's Fury's people to fight again. But they probably believe that Tyson Fury will win and that that fight will happen late this year, October, November, whenever it is. So maybe there's a two-fight deal for those two to fight should Tyson Fury win and for Joshua to win his mandatory fights for those two to fight next year. So maybe like next spring and next fall they fight. Those would be excellent fights. I would just in terms of where they're at right now and their trajectory, I would favor Tyson Fury. Here's my question to you. If that fight is over in the UK, maybe one's in the UK, one's in Vegas, they'll probably work out a deal like that if this all comes off. And right now it's all preliminary. But can Tyson Fury get a decision in a very close fight against Anthony Joshua on an Eddie Hearn-promoted show in the UK? Very good question. And I, I suppose a lot of it will be how that promotion is worked out, whether what you know weight Frank Warren puts behind who's judging and who's officiating, etc. 
obviously the money is in Eddie's hands uh, more so. So I, I can see them leaning towards Joshua and, and also Tyson Fury start as we find out um, in the first Deontay Wilder fight. It leaves a lot to sort of um, subjectivity mm-hmm. in those close rounds that he tends to eke out rather than sort of stomping his authority on. So if it's one of those fights where, you know, the, the, the trained eye can see that Tyson Fury should be winning majority of the rounds, but AJ has moments, yeah, it's certainly possible that we could have a, a bit of a robbery or a, an unfair decision on Joshua's side. But then it's a two-fight deal, so they they can always run it back and, you know, wherever the, the rematch is, is put, uh, yeah. has a bearing as well. I think yeah, I think back to when AJ fought Vladimir Klitschko, and I think two of the judges had Joshua ahead at the time of the stoppage, which was not yeah. the fight that took place. Vladimir Klitschko was winning. Yeah, that fight. yeah. So I think Steve Weissold was the only one who had it right with Klitschko yeah, up by two, maybe one of the best like young judges in boxing. I like Steve Weissold. I usually yeah. agree with his scorecards. So yeah, the other two yeah. judges had Joshua ahead, and that was not the fight. Ninety percent of people were watching. So. I got to wonder, because, you know, from the U.K. side, obviously Eddie Hearn is more powerful than Frank Warren, and he's going to yield the power. Now, if the fight's over here in the United States, top rank's more involved, well, they're a power broker mm-hmm. in Vegas. So that would, you know, change things. So it gets very interesting. A lot of moving pieces to that, though. But I'm telling you right now, dude, if, if, if all that could be worked out and those guys fight twice next year, even if the first one's in London – and we get a controversial decision, and then the rematches in Vegas. It'd be massive for boxing, massive. Yeah, huge. Yep, just got me excited for a short moment. But as you've seen, it's not quite confirmed just yet. But yeah, that's all I had for now. I didn't watch the show yesterday, so I'll catch up with that and maybe yeah, not next didn't week, miss but the week after. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, one sided, all one sided. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, thanks very much, Mike. Oh, thank you. Oh. Have a good one. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, so um, look, with the Sky Sports reporting about Eddie Hearn and Fury and Joshua, to me, that that doesn't mean anything's official at all, at least not yet. But it means that it's moving in the right direction and they're actually having talks. That, to me, means that there really are talks going on, which is great. So either way, the top three heavyweights, top four heavyweights, let's go with the top four. It's Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Dillian White. If those four guys all fight each other over the next 12 to 18 months, boxing wins. If that doesn't happen, particularly after the shutdown and all this stuff, boxing really takes an L. So I think they should try to do the right thing, get those four names in the ring with each other over the next, really I would say between now and the end of next year. So over the next... 18 months if that can happen that's huge for boxing it's huge for boxing you guys just don't understand and and even if wilder loses to fury again which he likely will uh wilder's still going to be a key player and there's still big fights to make in the heavyweight division even if he loses a wilder andy ruiz fight in the united states sells that could be in vegas imagine the crowd for that one in vegas if they did that particularly around one of the mexican holidays that sell really well. Uh, there's several fights like that here in the United States and in the UK that are possibilities. Remember, we still got, we should still get Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce, the winner of that fight. If they end up going against one of the other top British, 
contenders, let's say Dillian White takes an L in his title attempt. If Daniel Dubois beats Joe Joyce, then over the next couple of years, he gets in there with, with Dillian White. Um, there's a lot of great possibilities. These guys just have to fucking fight each other. Uh, Super Chat Pledge from Trent Nonpareil. Thank you so much, Trent. He says, Stevenson versus Conlon, please. Yeah, I like that one. Yo, I think Joel Diaz will be trainer of the year in the next two years. What about you? He could have six of those Uzbeks win a title in six different divisions. Are you still not high on Quigley? That's a great point about Joel Joel Diaz. Yeah, I, I think that he's training several of those Uzbek fighters, right? And over the next... 12 to 24 months, those guys are going to start winning titles. So I think it's it's about timing and what else is going on. Uh, yeah, I absolutely think he could be in the running for trainer of the year pretty soon. It depends. If a couple of his guys win titles, but then we see a huge heavyweight showdown next year between the top two, top three heavyweights, and you get a clear heavyweight champion just by default, Whoever the, the winner is, that person's trainer, that fighter's trainer is probably going to get trainer of the year because it is somewhat of a popularity contest. So it is about timing. But in a year where there's not some big star power kind of trainer like that, he absolutely could. He absolutely could. He's, he's training a, a good school of young guys right now. And if, if Shakur Stevenson versus Michael Conlon I like that matchup. I mean, Top Rank has a few guys in and around their weight class. There's several fights they can make from, what, 26 all the way to uh, 26, 30, and 35. And really up to 40. Well, shit, 47. <laughs> yeah, Dude, I'm just thinking, man. I mean, 20, and then you go down to 118 in, in, in a way once he moves up to 122. From 122 to 147. Top rank is going to have a hell of a lot of fights to make over the next few years. So if one of them happens to be Stevenson versus Conlon, sign me up. For my money, I think Stevenson has more tools. And I think when they do fight, I favor him. Now, had they fought a year ago or something, maybe I would have favored Conlon. But as they develop, I just think that Stevenson has a higher ceiling. So the longer it, the longer we have before the two of them fight, I think the more it benefits Shakur Stevenson. And when they do fight, I think he'll probably win. That being said, I like Michael Conlon a lot. And there's a lot of guys out there that he would beat. I just think Stevenson, um, there's just some tools there that if he develops, it's all about if he could take a punch. I think Conlon has shown he could take a good shot already. We don't know from Stevenson. So if Stevenson ends up being chinny and having issues there, well, then all bets are off. But if he shows a good chin or a good enough defense to avoid needing a chin, then you got to favor him because of the height, the length, uh, the southpaw stance, and uh, some of the movement. The footwork has gotten a lot better. The head movement's very good. It's not even necessarily head movement. It's the footwork because he gets out of range really well. He uses good angles. Now, he's fought absolutely nobody so far. Not to not to diss or disrespect his opponents, but he just hasn't fought anybody so far to warrant the type of hype he's getting. So we'll see. We'll see. It's just eye test. In terms of eye test, I see a higher ceiling with Stevenson. Thanks again for the super chat, man. Okay, um, no calls right now. Let's talk about real quick. I talked about 13 completed rounds in over three hours. That show, which was blocked for four hours, should have been two hours. 
you really could have did it in an hour, but I think that's a little too fast given that we've been off for a few months. So two hours would have been fine. I do not understand going out and getting a four-hour block for this show. Now, to be fair, to be fair, Top Rank it was swimming in uncharted waters last night, okay? No one's put on a boxing card. Let's forget about UFC for a second because, again, it's not as highly regulated as boxing is. They get to fly under the radar with certain things that boxing promoters can't. But in Nevada, the most powerful fight commission on earth in all martial arts, not just boxing, there are new protocols, and this was uncharted territory for top rank, and they didn't know exactly how long some of this stuff would take. Everything has to be disinfected between fights. There's social distancing measures, so you have to get everybody out of the bubble from the previous fight before bringing in everybody for the next fight into the bubble. So there, there are a lot of logistics there, and this was the first time. So maybe why they had that four-hour block was to give themselves enough time to ensure they could get through all this and televise the entire main event. Because obviously the entire point of this card was to promote Shakur Stevenson, right? So that was paramount, that they had to have enough time for that main event. I get it. Well, now you've done it. You've done your experiment. And I think that top ranks should not be arrogant here. And they should listen to guys like me, guys like you listening, watching right now. They should look at the Twitter timeline last night and this morning. They should look at videos like this and uh, different podcasts this week in the, in the fight community that uh, talk about this card. And they should listen. They should take all that in and listen and not say, oh, pfft, whatever, boxing fans, they'll show up next time. They always show up. They, they bitch and moan, but they show up. No, 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 no. Listen, okay, because I think that you could speed up the disinfecting procedures, the social distancing procedures, now that you had a run-through, a live run-through on a live fight card. You could find ways to speed that up. You could find ways to uh, all that shoulder programming stuff, all the vignettes and all the commentary and the TV, TV time, the advertisement time. Find a way to put that around the disinfecting time and then get back to the fights, okay? You do not need more than 10 minutes between fights to disinfect the ring, get all the judges and officials out, the fighters out, the, the, the quartermen out from the previous fight, and get the new ones in. Everybody's warming up in a different part of the bubble before they enter the, the arena, the bubble, to do the fight. So that entire process should take less than 10 minutes. If you go to a commercial break right after a fight, I don't give a shit if it's a three, four minute commercial break. Come back and do a couple minutes of commentary, your little vignette, whatever you got to do. Mark Kriegel can go on one of his Kriegel logs. I started calling them Kriegel logs. It's a Mark Kriegel monologue. Hopefully uh, that makes sense. And then have maybe another commercial break and then boom, go into the next fight. We do not need more than 10 minutes between fights. Last night we had like a half hour between fights and these weren't high level 10, 12 round championship level matchups. These were club level uh, type of matchups. These were showbox, not even showbox level matchups, because a lot of the time on showbox, some of those fights are 10 rounders, eight, 10 rounders. These were six round fights. Okay. No reason more than 10 minutes is necessary to get everything done and get the next fight out. So you had your, your, your test run top rank. Now, Listen to guys like me, listen to the community, 
take that criticism in, don't just scoff it away, and utilize it to improve the efficiency of these other cards. Because this was the one of, this was the first of what, 10 of these cards? Eight of these cards over the next month? I think it's eight. So you got a lot more time to, to get this stuff streamlined, right? You want people to tune in for the next one. You want more and more and more for each progressive card, right? You want you don't want less people. So a lot of what happened last night rubbed people the wrong way, and they want to see less of that, and they want to see more of fighting. So listen, learn, and plan more effectively, schedule more effectively, streamline everything, and you'll be all right. Now, uh, let's talk about... Let's talk about, uh, oh, wait, I see in the chat, Hamed asked, uh, Mike, have you talked about the AJ Fury two-fight deal? Hamed, we just talked about that. A caller, uh, just a few minutes ago, we talked about that. I went on the Sky Sports story and read it. Nothing's official the way I see it, at least from that story that they just uh, posted. We talked about hypothetical scenarios and everything, so check that out later. I just, again, you guys got to remember, there is a contract between Deontay Wilder and his people and Tyson Fury and his people to fight again. You can't break a contract, okay? It's, it, you don't want to do that. That was a pretty lock-solid, complex deal. So unless you see anything in that Sky Sports story about Deontay Wilder accepting a bunch of money to sit on the sidelines, which I don't think he's going to do, then I, I would say, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. I think the more likely scenario is if a fight deal is agreed to, between Fury and AJ, it's for next year after AJ handles his mandatory and Fury handles Wilder again, if he does, if they both do. Of course, you know, anything could happen in boxing. So should that take place and those two fight next year, huge for boxing, huge for boxing. Okay, uh, Andre Ward's comments last night. So during this, you know, political diatribe section of the broadcast, um, the floor was given to Timothy Bradley and Andre Ward exclusively to talk and everybody else just shut up and let them talk. And I understand that. I get it. Uh, Timothy Bradley talked about an incident he had recently uh, with a police officer and talking to his four-year-old son about that. And it was difficult for him. I've had incidents with police officers. A lot of us watching this have, I, I personally believe that we are over-policed in the United States of America and I think the biggest issue with our police here is the unions. Police unions are a major problem. I'm a member of a union, okay? I am a member of a union through my entertainment work. So I'm not trying to be a hypocrite here. Unions are good for a lot of things, but unions also protect shitty employees. And that includes teachers unions, that includes police unions. The biggest issue we have here is with the police unions and some of the training at the very top of these of these uh, police departments. So Timothy Bradley talked about a personal story he had. I can bring up stories. I've had hands put on me twice by police. I've seen family members get the shit beat out of them by police. I was raised to fear cops because of the neighborhood I grew up in and some of the family element and stuff uh, that I grew up in. I was taught, you know, you see a cop, don't make eye contact. They'll be suspicious of you. You don't say anything to them. If they ask you questions, you keep quiet. That's what I was taught as a kid. I hear a lot of people talking in media right now. Oh, well, I was taught that, you know, uh, police are your friend. And that's how all people fill in the blank were taught. Uh, no one gets to speak for all people. We all have unique experiences. So Timothy Bradley sharing his experience. I got no beef with that. And uh, But when Andre Ward talked about 
fighters playing the heel, that is fighters being the bad guy, the negative guy, however you want to word it. And he said specifically with black fighters that he basically worded it where if black fighters don't play the heel, they are not uh, sellable and they're not marketable and they don't make a lot of money. That is just factually false. That's an oversimplistic, obtuse, ignorant way of looking at the situation. Now, I respect Andre Ward as a human being, and he has a right to his opinion, but I think that his opinion is not very nuanced and thought through, because if he's relating this to him as a guy who's partially African-American, well, it's not that he, he, it's not that he had to play heel or turn heel or whatever to get the respect he deserved. A big reason Andre Ward didn't get fanfare and, and love from the mainstream, you know, the casual fight fan, had to do with his fighting style and his personality with the media. Now, he's opened up since retirement, and he's become much more approachable with fans and media. He's done an outstanding job with his uh, commentary at ESPN. I thought I think he's done a really, really good job. But as a fighter he came off to a lot of people as very smug and um, I'm trying to think of the right word, pretentious and entitled. This is a guy who sued his dying promoter, who was like a father to him, who went out of his way to look after him and uh, really, really give him a leg up. I mean, in that, that tournament he fought, he was the only, that I think it was a super six on uh, Showtime. I can't remember the years. I want to say maybe the early 2010s. He uh, he was the only fighter who never traveled. He was the only fighter who fought exclusively in his home country, several times in his home state. So he had he basically had a privileged position in that tournament, more so than anybody else, even though there were more established stars at the time in that tournament. Um, the, the, the American networks, particularly HBO, and guys like Max Kellerman and Jim Lampley, have gone above and beyond singing Andre Ward's praises and giving him a lot of PR and everything that he, quite frankly, at that time, didn't necessarily earn. So I think Sports Illustrated the same way. So he's got a, a powerful platform position now at ESPN. So for him to say, for him to use that kind of verbiage, I don't necessarily agree with that. And I tweeted about it. There are fighters like Evander Holyfield, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Marvin Hagler, I could point to a million fighters. George Foreman, you more so maybe than any other athlete, not just boxer, had one of the hugest endorsement deals in the history of sports marketing with that George Foreman grill. I want to say he made over half a billion dollars hawking that thing. Okay, so, and that's just in boxing, but we could go with sports in general. And the way black stars are treated in this country is better than any other group. So there's millions of examples I could give when it comes to media attention and everything else and the platform that they're given to speak about certain things with impunity. I mean, somebody like LeBron James can say whatever he wants to say, even if it's asinine and inaccurate, and there's no recourse. So meanwhile, Drew Brees, you saw what just happened to him simply for stating why he supports the American flag because of uh, you know his family's service in World War II. So, look, it's a very complex, nuanced situation, and I don't want to dig into that for too long. But Andre Ward, again, there were several years during his prime. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but I want to say he fought two or three times over like a five-year span, something like that. 
even though he wasn't the champion at 175, he fought two journeyman-level opponents and walked right into a massive fight against the legitimate champion, Sergey Kovalev. And he got the, the ben- all the benefits politically and logistically in those matchups, particularly the second fight. But in the first fight, um, he benefited on the scorecards in that fight. So, like, there's a lot of benefits he got. And specifically as an American, and even maybe specifically in media, you could argue is a guy that's partially African-American over somebody like Sergei Kovalev, who is quote-unquote foreign, quote-unquote Russian, uh, although hysteria in a much of the media over Russian people right now, uh, the xenophobia, quite frankly, around uh, Russian people, Eastern European people in general. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. So, so he, there are situations where Andre Ward benefited demographically. So for him to just go on that rant, I don't know if that was the most logically well thought out rant. Uh, and I don't necessarily agree with it. I'm trying to be fair to Andre Ward. But turning heel, playing heel, people always point to Floyd Mayweather. Oh, well, when he was pretty boy, and Andre Ward did, when he was pretty boy, nobody gave a shit. And then when he jumped over and became Money May, he became a huge star. Again, that's inaccurate. When Floyd Mayweather was pretty boy, top rank was all in on him, promoting the hell out of him, just like they're doing with Shakur Stevenson right now. And he was a darling, I won't say a darling, but he was being promoted pretty heavily as a prospect and a baby contender over at HBO. And as a young champion, he was promoted by HBO. And he was talking, Jim Lampley promoted him as the pound for pound best fighter in the world. They set him up to have that uh, pay-per-view with Arturo Gatti. That was a brand building exercise, basically with, just the way Errol Spence just benefited off the blood, sweat, and tears of Mikey Garcia and the way he benefited from that situation in terms of his branding. It was a very similar situation after Arturo Gatti gave a portion of his life in the ring, blood, sweat, and tears for everybody at HBO to profit of. They they fed him to Floyd Mayweather to build up his name. I mean, I could go on and on and on here, guys. Floyd Mayweather made the decision to turn heel. And that wasn't necessarily a, a, just a... A complete acting job. This is a guy who's been arrested for domestic abuse. This is a guy who's gone on racist rants and sexist homophobic rants before, who's defended women beaters like, um, I think it was Ray Rice, the NFL player. So, again, Floyd turning heel, that wasn't 100% acting, okay? There were things he did in his personal life that made him a heel. He wasn't necessarily just acting on camera. Also, a huge part of Floyd's marketing and who were buying his fights and promoting him were, was black America. It's not like all of a sudden, quote unquote, white America or the mainstream, however you want to word it, just suddenly started paying attention to Floyd because he turned heel. A lot of guys that uh, were, were buying his pay-per-view, the, the cult of Floyd, if you will, on social media, a lot of that was young black kids. And yeah, even young white kids too. But I'm just saying, it, it's not like it was this one-sided thing. Also, a point to people like in UFC, Conor McGregor, when he turned heel, his dollars went up. When Ronda Rousey turned heel, her dollars went up. I think there's a guy over there named Chad Sonnen. Correct me if, if I'm wrong, the way I'm pronouncing that name. When he turned heel, his dollars went up. T to Ortiz, right? And I'm just using UFC as an example here because that markets to, quote unquote, middle America, the WWE NASCAR crowd. That's who's watching that, right? the mainstream casual sports fan. All the people over there that turn heel make more money too. And none of the people I just listed are black. So again, for Andre Ward to just go down that road, 
and to try to relate it to Floyd and to try to relate it to Shakur Stevenson because he's managing him, the very same guy they were promoting on that show for four hours. I just That just came off a little divisive and opportunistic and, quite frankly, not that accurate. Just my opinions on that. And I'm trying to be fair to Andre because, again, I think he does a fantastic job. A fantastic job at his job at ESPN. But I thought that was uh, that just did not come off better. Uh, Jay Perez on the chat says, Bob Arum said that Floyd Mayweather was better than Sugar Ray Robinson back at this time. Yep, he did say that. And Jim Lampley said things like that. Several people over at HBO did. Long before Floyd turned into Money May. Long before that. So for Andre Ward to say what he said and for a bunch of People to just jump on that on Twitter. Um, again, what have I been saying? People are talking like parrots and acting like sheep right now. People are not thinking independently. They're not using their logic. They're not asking tough questions. People don't really want to have real conversations right now. They just want to yell. They just want to shout a battle cry. They don't want to look at a situation for the totality of it and the complexity of it. They want everything to be simple and nuanced down to a buzz phrase, if not a single word. And that's just not the way human beings work. That's just not the way real life works. So right now in boxing, some of the top brands in the sport, regardless of their ethnic background, are good guys. And they are some of the biggest brands. I mean, of course, we talk about Anthony Joshua and guys like that. Uh, Look, for Deontay Wilder, when he turned heel, his dollars went up. Right, he turned heel with the to this day and all that sort of stuff, and I want to get a body and all this, and it did increase his dollars. And in that scenario between him and Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder has been happy playing that card, where Tyson Fury was the good guy, Deontay Wilder's the bad guy. Deontay Wilder made that choice; it's made him a wealthy man. So there is an element, there's a kernel of truth to what Andre Ward was talking about. Yes, but is it? 100% based in race? Is it even primarily based in race? I don't think so. I think there's just money in playing heel. Again, ask Conor McGregor, ask Ronda Rousey, and countless others. Even in the NFL or the NBA, Major League Baseball, there are heels in sports. But particularly in fight sports, particularly in martial arts, not just boxing, all martial arts. It's fighting. The heel has always sold. The movie Cinderella Man, Right? And that just popped in my head because it came on yesterday. Uh, Cinderella Man, uh, James Braddock versus uh, Max Bear. There was a heel in that situation, right? There was a good guy that everyone rallied behind, and there was the heel, right? There have been heels throughout the history of boxing of all backgrounds, all backgrounds. And there is money to be made in that, that character. Same thing with WWE. And, you know, I know that's not real fighting, but those guys are athletes. They are athletes. Okay. Enough for my rant. All right. Enough for my rant. Carlos Cabrera says, haters pay to see you lose. Yes. Haters pay to see you lose. That's the genius of the heel. Look, when Ronda Rousey got her ass beat by Holly Holm, Holly Holm was the good, good one. Ronda Rousey was the bad one. There were just as many people out there that were happy to see Ronda Rousey get her ass beat as there were people that were happy to see Holly Holm win, right? For some people, it wasn't even, they weren't even happy for Holly Holm. They were just happy Ronda Rousey lost. Guess what? All of them still paid for the damn pay-per-view. And most of that money went to Ronda Rousey. There you go. There's an example of the heel paying off for somebody who's not black. So it goes in all directions, guys, as usual, as most things in life do. 
And I'm not saying it's an equal balance in all directions. Now, hear me out on this. I would never suggest it's an equal balance in all directions. There are imbalances, okay? But to pretend it's 100% one way or the other, that it's one-sided, that's my issue. That's my issue with all this stuff in media right now. Because it's not one-sided. It's not 100% or zero. It's somewhere in the middle. So anyway. All right. Uh, any, any more questions, guys, or should I drop off here? We've been going for about an hour. I guess if I had to give last night's uh, card a rating, I, a B minus, a B minus. The fights were fun. They were fun. But uh, just because of the, in terms of like the production and all that, that was great. Wonderful setup. They did a great job with the production for the most part. Uh, the, the commentary, some of the guys were talking over each other. And that, that happens when you're not working in person together, when you're you know working remotely like they are. That just happens. But for the most part, um, technically it was great. The fights were fun. They were club-level fights, but they were fun. But some of the vignettes and the, um, the just the political pandering and groveling and just all that just didn't need it. Didn't need it. You have your obligatory five minutes, get it done, and then boom, get to what we want. Get to the meat and potatoes, right? We'll have salad later. <laughs> so, like, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, so, all in all, B minus. All right, we got a question here. Um, October 4th asks, who would you most want to see Andre Ward fight in a comeback? Right now, Arthur Baturbiev. If he comes back, go right up against the top dude, right? Maybe you get one tune-up. Do a tune-up, but then Arthur Baturbiev. I would be really interested to see that fight. Really interested. Gail Falkenthal, as usual, speaking truth and logic. She says, you can't have a hero without a villain. Exactly. If Floyd Mayweather had played the good guy and just been a nice guy his entire career, would his fight with Manny Pacquiao have sold as well as it sold? No. It sold as well as it sold because he played the bad guy. Manny Pacquiao played the good guy. So they had a role to play. Now, Manny Pacquiao, he, he's not a, a, a saint, okay, because for years there was womanizing, there was gambling, there was all sorts of stuff going on behind the scenes that a lot of good Christian people, as Manny is now, <laughs> uh, would not like and would not approve of. Manny kept all that stuff secret, and his promotion worked very, very hard to keep it secret and under wraps so he could play the good guy. Meanwhile, the villain was playing his role, and Floyd uh, played up to it because of some of the things in his personal life that got out there because he got in trouble for it, which were much more egregious, let's be fair, than what Pacquiao did. Pacquiao never went on racist, homophobic rants either. So, I mean, yes. We're all. I guess I bring that up because we're all complicated. We're all hypocrites. We all contradict ourselves, including my, including myself. But um, in that scenario, you had a good guy and a bad guy. Was there a racial element to it for some people? For some people, but that's probably a small percentage, a very small percentage, right? It's not the majority. Um, and you could say, "Oh, you're being naive." Really? We, look when. Floyd, again, made tons of money. Manny made tons of money fighting other guys when the good guy, bad guy scenario wasn't necessarily part of it. But the big payoff, the two of them, there wasn't a rivalry because they weren't going to fight three, four times. 
Pacquiao had his rivalry, rivalries with Marquez, Barrera, Morales, all those guys. It was only going to be a one-off with Floyd. And they wanted to make that thing just as big as they could. And a big part of that was the way they packaged it with the you know good guy, bad guy thing. It is what it is. It's sports, man. Look at the Super Bowl. Anytime the New England Patriots are in the Super Bowl, they're the heel. They're the bad guy. Everyone in America hates them outside of Boston, right? So whoever's playing them in the Super Bowl is a good guy. I'm from Detroit. Growing up, I loved the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys. We were, the, we're, we were America's heel. Everyone hated the Detroit Pistons. So we actually, the Pistons succeeded in making Michael Jordan this saint. A big part of his marketing and him becoming a, the biggest sports star maybe ever was the Pistons playing heel for him right? First it was the Boston Celtics, then it was the Detroit Pistons. And there were a lot of complications and things going on in Michael Jordan's life. Wasn't the best husband, wasn't the best friend, wasn't necessarily the best teammate. That was kind of kept secret, right? There was gambling and all kept secret because he had to play the good guy role and the Pistons had to be the bad guy, right? So guys, this stuff goes all over sports. All right, so that's it. Uh, We're going to jump off now. It's my birthday in a few days, so wish me a happy birthday, guys. And uh, we will be back, not next week, for TNC. We'll be back next, next week. Uh, Gail Falker, though, with a good comment. Again, before I go, I have to get this on record because she just corrected me. She's, she's right. She says, for the record, Pacquiao has made homophobic remarks in the Philippine Senate. That's why Nike dropped him. Gail, you are absolutely correct. And uh, those statements were pretty fucked up. The thing is... It was after the Mayweather fight, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that was after the Floyd Mayweather fight. So I was talking about specifically the buildup of the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. Going into that, Manny had done a pretty good job of keeping some of his radical opinions and all that stuff under wraps and some of the bad behavior and stuff under wraps. And Floyd's bad behavior and, and nasty rhetoric had leaked out. So, uh, but yes, post Mayweather fight, I do believe he made some really, really nasty comments about gay people and Nike dropped them in an instant. So, um, you know, look, it goes in all directions, guys. All right. So yeah, we're going to jump off there. Thank you, Gail, for getting that in and correcting me. Uh, we'll see you guys in about a week or so. Maybe I'll do a rant video, uh, from my birthday where I'm going to be chilling, but I'm probably just going to unplug guys. I'm probably just going to unplug because, uh, it's just been a lot of negativity and animosity and nastiness on media and social media lately. And ugh, yeah, I just need to get away from that for a few days. Yeah. My birthday is this Saturday going to be 41 years old. So uh, next time you guys see me, I'll officially be in my forties. I'll no longer be able to say I'm 40. I'll have to say I'm in my forties, which whatever. I don't, I don't love it. I don't hate it. It is what it is. All right, guys, I'll see you at the fights.